This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk. With special guests including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real-life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome. You're listening to the One Tough Mother Show. We are so excited about the guests we have on. We're always excited about the guests we have on. But again, I love the fact that we we have such a diversified audience. We have people coming from all walks of life, all over the world, women that want to share their real life lessons. And I love that. I love people that will come on and be authentic and tell us their story because the One Tough Mother story is all about you. But Seth, what went on with you this week? Huh? Yeah, what'd you do? <laughs> We're just, our, you know, our baby's uh, three weeks old. Are you sleeping? No. I didn't think so. No. Um, everything's going well. My my five-year-old started camp. Uh, my other old, older one's going to camp. And I'm just hustling, running around. Summer's going quickly. I, I don't know. I, I, do I have anything, like, really awesome to tell you? I don't. Just that my baby's awesome. And you gave us a great gift. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. After Fourth of July, doesn't summer just slide? Isn't it just like gone? It's just, yeah, you know, it was great. Oh, no, it was great. We had Christmas in July on Sunday in town. They closed off one of these little streets. I, I'll show you a picture. I got a picture of Santa. You can put it on. You can put it on the website. All right. I don't mind. My daughter's like, I'm not buying this. <laughs> my son's like, Oh my God, Santa and his wife is here, Mrs. Claus too. This is the most awesome thing ever. And. uh Oh, God. You know what? Now I do have a story. Cause this whole thing is a story. Uh, you know, as far as parenting goes, I don't like when pe- people don't correct their kids. Or, you know, so my daughter, like, there's, they have little toys and stuff. My daughter's two, okay? Almost three, but she's two. And there's this little thing with water in. And this kid, I'm I'm kind of in between both kids. So I'm a few steps away. This kid starts spinning something. He soaked, literally, I'm not exaggerating. He soaked my daughter. Oh. I stopped him from doing that. And I'm like, oh my God, she's soaked. And I'm like talking out loud. Nobody says a word. The parents, the parents didn't say, Bobby, no, stop that. As I walk I'm my so kids sorry. away, and he's like, oh, now you can do it. I said, what'd you say? <laughs> I got, I, if I didn't have my kids with me, I might have grabbed his throat. I, I, I'm a little, I don't sleep. I know I'm a little, I'm a little quick to grab throats. I was like, are you kidding me? My daughter was soaked. Aww. Soaked like someone shot her with a, like a, a water hose. I hate that too. If my kid was doing something, I would stop him right away. I was like, stop doing that. Right, right, right. And then I had the kids at the pool and my daughter's like, I want to get out. I'm cold or whatever. I think she's exhausted. So I took her out. She fell asleep right on my, in my arms at the pool. So my son's there and I see my son getting, he took his goggles and had them on his forehead instead of his eyes and some kid's splashing him. I was like, right. Because someone's correct this. There's other adults all around and no one's like. Because nobody's paying attention. That wasn't such a big deal. The kid didn't mean, I don't think meant anything by it. But I told my son, leave your goggles on. What are you doing? I know. It's, I know. I hate that I'm when people stuck. don't I'm stuck. I can't go in the kids. water. My daughter's sleeping on the bench. It's just, uh, it's hard having a lot of kids, as you know. 
Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, you kind of divide yourself in so many pieces. And yeah. I decided now I'm just to start doing things separately with the kids. I took the, the boys bike riding yesterday and I got home. I took my daughter to the pool, just me and her. Good. And I just I, uh, You need that time. Actually, it sounds like, I used to do that. It sounds like you're like not doing stuff with the other and you're doing with it, but they need that one-on-one time anyway. Yeah. So I'm trying. It's it's a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage. You do a good job. And I have to come to one tough mother too. Yeah, you're you're a real you hustler, your, you dude. Need your time too. Yeah, you're a real hustler. I'm a hustler. <laughs> today I'm I'm super excited about today's interview, but it's also an epic day. Do you know what today is? It's, oh, it's epic. Oh, it's seven eleven. Free Slurpee at seven eleven. Oh, you're not you're not going to hear this on on the day we're recording, but it yeah. is seven eleven day. I didn't realize that. That's not I thought it. that's what you were talking about. No, I had not. Free Slurpee. No, that was you guys put in your calendar for All next right, year. Shut up about it right now. Seven eleven. Wait, stop it. Shut up. Today is the beginning of the newest segment of the One Tough Mother Show. Once a month, on the first show of every month, we're going to have the honor of having Doctor Tanya. Elliot, as the leading allergist in New York City and chief medical officer of the national, or I'm sorry, of the nationwide preventative health company, EHE. She's going to be on our show as a contributor. Dr. T. It's Dr. T's Tough Mother Medical Moments. Whoa. Yeah, she is really great. And she's she's got tons of tips. Tons, oh, tons, tons. I love her. I think she's great. She and, is. Uh, and I love the alliteration in the title. It's great. Thank you so much. Anyway, yes. she's got tips on everything you can imagine, from summer travel to food allergies, prepping your kid to go back to school, health and technology. Oh, she, when she was on the show, she helped uh, my 10-year-old with allergies a lot. Just by wetting a paper towel and wiping his eyes helped a lot. Oh, it did help a lot? Yeah. See, Dr. T, you're cool. Ooh. Yeah. So she's going to be on the show, the first the first show of every month. Dr. T is going to come on with a tip. And then I think every couple months we're going to have her on just to, for a little part of a segment because people are asking me stuff about like my son has a nut allergy can you introduce this this and this and sun butter oh See? okay well i got that one okay dr seth yeah, dr s <laughs> yeah dr s so anyway this is the day at the end of this show we're gonna hear dr t's tough mother medical moments and dr tanya elliott will be giving them thank you and welcome to our team hooray yay in a moment, we're going to hear our interview, which is Amy Newmark, and she is incredible as well. We'll be right back. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. So today's guest is the best-selling author, editor-in-chief, and publisher of Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. Since 2008, she's published more than 150, Seth, 150 books. Incredible. I can't do one book. I know me either. Most of them national bestsellers in the U.S. and Canada, more than doubling the number of the Chicken Soup of the Soul titles in print today. She's also an author of Simply Happy, a crash course in Chicken Soup for the Soul advice and wisdom. It's with great pleasure that I welcome this wonderful woman. I'm super excited to have her on our show. I've waited a few months to get her, and she's here today. It's Amy Newmark. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really happy to be on with all the other tough mothers. Yay, good for you, Amy. Good. That was perfect. Good for you. I'll tell you what, we're, we are super excited, and your bio it, it, it kind of confused me a little bit, but it kind of, I got it at the end. Amy, when I read your bio, I was blown away. First of all, you were um, magna cum laude, graduating from Harvard, who majored in 
Portuguese and minored in French. Not tough. That doesn't sound tough to me. Wow. And went three decades on Wall Street as an analyst, a hedge fund manager, a corporate executive in technology field, to going to chicken soup for the soul. How? How'd that happen? I know. Isn't that just so bizarre? It's so strange. And yet, everything I've ever done has been about writing and inspiring people and persuading them because everything I did in my career in technology and finance was, it, it always involved writing. So I would write research reports when I was on Wall Street and convince people to buy or sell the stocks that I thought they should buy or sell. And it was all storytelling. And I was also always trying to do good. And I know a lot of people, they think, oh, you couldn't have been on Wall Street and been doing good. But I felt that I was. Like if I saw a company that I thought was committing fraud and was enticing people to buy their stock using, you know, fake numbers, I would let the SEC know. I would write reports about it and warn people to stay away from that stock. So I really felt that I was always out there crusading for what was right. And it was a weird but it somehow felt natural to me turn in my life to go from Wall Street to Main Street and switch to stories that would persuade people to find their inner strength, to find that happiness that was possible for them, and to overcome the challenges in their lives. Uh, it's so true, and, and the books are so, so amazing. And So you have three children from a previous marriage, correct? I have two from my first marriage, and then I have two stepchildren, but my husband, my second husband, and I really just talk about our four children because we love all four of them, and they consider themselves to be brothers and sisters. They don't say stepbrother and stepsister, and it's just a very close family. We travel together a lot. In fact, we were just where were we? Oh, we were in Maine last week, and we were having lunch with um, the older daughter and her husband and just chatting away and having a great time. And then afterwards, the waiter came over to us and said, are you all family? Because I never saw family members having so much fun together. Oh, that is awesome. That's as it and, should you know, be. We all went to Costa Rica together in April. So it was the four kids and three of them are married and one of them has a serious girlfriend. So there were eight of them and the two of us. And we had such a great time. And then when we came back, somebody said to me, well, how was it? Were there tensions? Did everybody get along? And I looked at this person like, what are you talking about? Because it hadn't even occurred to me that there would be any issues. There never have been. I mean, even when we first started dating, the kids immediately liked, you know, the other person. And so, yeah, we've been very lucky in that regard. I mean, of course, going through divorce is incredibly traumatic, one of the most horrible things that can happen to you. Absolutely. But we came out of it on the other side to this wonderful new blended family, and we both get along really well with our ex-spouses. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome to hear that. So like in 2008, your husband, Bill, bought 
the wildly popular chicken soup for the soul company. He just came home one day. Tell me how this worked out. From Canfield and Victor. Like he did he come home and say, Hey Amy, I'm thinking about buying this. How did it work? So what actually happened was that we had been looking for a company to buy or create together for a few years because we had both finished up prior things we were doing. I was on a bunch of corporate boards but didn't really want to be anymore. And we had worked together in the past. So we knew that we could work together well. And we were looking for something to do, and and we had tried and failed to find the right company. And then we were with a good friend of mine and her new boyfriend, and her new boyfriend knew that the founders of Chicken Soup for the Soul wanted to sell. In fact, one of them was going through a divorce, which was one of the factors that led to their desire to sell. So we started looking into it, and we spent most of 2007 and early 2008 working on this deal, doing the due diligence, trying to raise the money. Because do you remember 2008? It was the end of the world. Oh, my gosh. You're so right. Lehman Brothers went under... All these different banks and brokerage firms disappeared or almost disappeared. I mean, it was really the end of the world. You walk into restaurants, there was nobody there. Remember? Now we all, it's hard to remember how bad things were. So it was very difficult to buy the company then, but we pulled it off. And what I did, my part of it, was to work on the content. So my husband did legal, financial. I did the content, which meant sitting down and reading 100 of the old Chicken Soup for the Soul books and just creating a vision for what Chicken Soup for the Soul could be going forward. And it was incredible because there I was with my Ivy League education, um, you know, pretty snutty about what was great literature. And I had only read one Chicken Soup for the Soul book in the past, the original one. And you should have seen me. For three months, I sat on this green couch in my family room, and I read 100 books. So it was about a book a day. And I had to change my contact lenses twice as often as the package said because I was ruining them with the salt from my tears. Oh, my gosh. That's so interesting. I've never heard of that. so much about people from reading all of those past Chicken Soup for the Soul stories. And so I became very enthusiastic, and I had this vision of what I would do as publisher and editor-in-chief of going forward. That is so, and it, but it wasn't, it wasn't super easy in the beginning. I read a great interview with your husband, and I guess there was some kind of, a, you guys had originally thought, let's kick it off with a motion picture or something. Oh, there was going to be a motion picture. That never happened, but that wasn't really a big deal at all. What was really hard, and in retrospect was really a dumb idea, was buying a publisher in the middle of the greatest recession since the Great Depression and a recession that was particularly awful in the publishing field because you had borders going bankrupt, You had Barnes & Noble reducing the number of stores. You had store shelves, you know, you had shelf space in every kind of store that sells books being um, reduced. I mean, there's probably half as much shelf space now in, you know, the big big box stores and the grocery stores and the drug stores. And there's all these people that stopped carrying books altogether. So all of that was going on. And there we were having done an LBO 
of this big publishing company. And, yeah, it was a struggle for the first four years. But we made it through. And even during those years, we had some huge bestsellers. Right. So I think that Chicken Soup for the Soul just works, whether you're in good times or bad times, because during those bad times, people turn to Chicken Soup for the Soul for comfort and inspiration and for hope. Hope is a big part of what we deliver to people. It's so, you're so right. And now some 150 books later in the series, you have published Chicken Soup for the Soul in so many different aspects of life. Like I, my dear friend, Emmy, I did a book with you guys. And yeah, that was a really important book. It was called um, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Curvy and Confident. And that was a very relevant book and became even more relevant than we realized it was going to be because I worked with Supermodel Emmy on that book and also with a very dear mutual friend of both of ours, Natasha Stoinoff. Well, Natasha Stoinoff was the People magazine reporter who was one of the women who came forward and discussed being forcibly kissed by Donald Trump. Right. And she was one of my co-authors on that book. It was Emmy, Natasha, and me. So it was very interesting that we came out with this Chicken Soup for the Soul, Curvy and Confident, uh, one month after the election and two months after Donald Trump had specifically said about Natasha Stoinoff, look at her pictures on Facebook, you know, I don't think so. Uh. So... Yeah, that was an important time, and we have been responsive to current times and the issues that affect women, and that's one reason why we put out a book this summer called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Empowered Woman, because, again, we were responding to what's going on and making sure that women have all of the ammunition they need to feel good about themselves and to feel empowered to stand up for their rights and maintain their self-confidence and be courageous and be their true self. I love it. And when I read that you guys so, I mean, so generously are um, taking the royalties from the book to go to dress for success, I was just like blown away. I think that's just an amazing thing to do. Well, dress for Success is such an amazing organization. I always knew about them, and I knew they were terrific, and I knew that they provided women with, you know, gently used interview clothing, suits and dresses. But I didn't know that they also helped prepare the women for the interviews. They show them how to sit down at a computer and research the company on the Internet, and they show them how to prepare their questions for the interview and how to write the thank you note after the interview. And then once they get the job, they show them how to maintain a job and how to manage their finances because for many of these women, it's the first time that they've really become empowered to support themselves and their families. And I love the people at Dress for Success, including their CEO, Joy Gordon, um, who I worked with on the book. And so, yeah, we're really excited that we're not only empowering 
our readers, but we're also empowering all of those clients of Dress for Success. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have to reach out to Joy because she'd be great on the show. She'd, she'd explain exactly because, you know what, Amy, until you just said this, I did not know that either. I thought the Dress for Success was they went in and got, you know, beautifully used clothes and were, were dressed to go out on interview. I didn't know the, the other steps that they took. I didn't know either. And I have to say, I brought them an outfit. I went there to do a Facebook Live with Joy, so I went to their New York headquarters, and I had a suit that I had tried on a few weeks before, and I realized it was never going to fit me again. (laughs) We all have those suits, honey. (laughs) I I just wasn't going to lose that inch that I needed to, you know, close those pants. So I got the suit. I went and found a pair of shoes that I thought would look great with it. I found a blouse to go with the suit and I brought the whole package to dress for success. And it made me feel so good. And it it really opens your eyes to the fact that you have stuff in your closet that you're never going to wear again. And you should give it away now while it's still in fashion. Don't wait. Right. That's a great point. So The Empowered Woman, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Empowered Woman book. What was your favorite story? Is there one that you really loved? Um, Because I'm sure you read so many of them that you love so many of them. I do. I do love so many of them. And it's hard to say. Well, I guess, okay, there's one that I really like because I am a person who is willing to use the law to set things right. I mean, I used to use the SEC, you know, to try to squash, you know, fraudulent companies that were selling their stock to unsuspecting investors. And I have used the law, you know, when I've had to file a lawsuit against somebody for something they did wrong. So here's an interesting one. This is a woman named April Knight. And she was a 45-year-old widow with four children. And she didn't have any income except whatever she could make. So she's raising four children. She was working two jobs, one of which was cleaning houses. And she finally got a new job that was working as a clerk at a jewelry store, but she made enough at that job that she could work just one job and give up cleaning houses on the side. And so things were going well, and then her boss started to sexually harass her. And she said, she had bifocals, and she said she was 30 pounds overweight, and she never thought anybody was going to go after her. But this guy really liked her, and he started, like, kissing her and groping her and trying to accost her in the stock room and saying, oh, if you'll be friendly, I'll promote you. So she finally called a lawyer, and she sued him. And her children were shocked and embarrassed, and her coworkers shunned her, so nobody was supporting her in this effort. This was a really lonely, scary thing to do, but she was determined, and so was her young male attorney. Well, she ended up winning the lawsuit. It took two years. The judge was appalled and granted her the equivalent of five years' wages. Oh, my goodness. And also, the judge made her boss write her a written apology and a letter of recommendation, but then her boss didn't pay her anyway. Instead, he filed for bankruptcy. So... Then two more years went by, but then her former boss died, and the estate was forced to pay her. So four years after she filed the original lawsuit, she won her five years' worth of wages, and 
She says in her story, going through the ordeal had been painful, embarrassing, exhausting, and scary, but I came out of it stronger, smarter, and no longer a victim. And I thought, what an empowering story. So that is very empowering. It's not so important to not feel like you were a victim. Right. To take that victim mentality and keep it, not, not try to get past it, is, is just amazing. Yeah, it was, I really liked her. And she also had a story in the book about how she didn't like um, her name because it had been given to her. Her mother and, um, and her mother's sister-in-law had argued over who could use a certain name first. And so her mother gave her this name, her original name, to spite her sister-in-law, and then gave her a middle name to please her landlady because she owed her back rent. And then she had her last name from her father who abandoned the family. So she said, I don't like any of these names. So as a full-grown adult, one day she just decided she was going to go and legally change her name. And she had been so not, she had been so unhappy with her name that she wouldn't even sign her artwork. Wow. She didn't like the name that she had been given. And after she changed her name, her whole life changed and she started signing her artwork and her artwork sold much better than it had before and everything in her life got better. That's amazing. This is a great stories. That is so crazy. And I'm so glad that you guys, you now what happens when someone, do you put a call out for people to submit stories or how does it work? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We do a call out. And so we do it in two ways. One, we put it on our website. So if you go to chickensoup.com, and you scroll down to the bottom, you know, the bottom of the homepage, you'll see um, Submit Your Story. You click on that, and you will see books we're working on. You'll see story guidelines, writing tips, and you'll see a form to use to submit your story. That's amazing. And then we also send out emails to about 6,500. That's only some of our past writers after 25 years in the business. And so we send them an email telling them what we're looking for. And then those call-outs tend to go viral because they'll look at it and say, oh, my sister should write a story or my friend should write a story. And, so, and then there are writers' blogs and writers' groups, and they all share the information. And so tens of thousands of people end up knowing about each book that we're working on it's really hard to get into the book because we get five or 6,000 submissions for each one. But we read every single story, and we feel bad about the fact that we only have 101 slots. But we really are publishing the cream of the crop and a lot of variety in our books as a result of culling from so many different submissions. That's, that's just amazing. And it's funny because... Um, Everybody's like, you got to do it because, you know, I have the Tough Mother Army and thousands of women with just incredible, incredible story. So maybe I'll talk to you at some point about doing a chicken soup for the soul for the Tough Mother book because I think that would be really fun to do. Um, what's next? What's next for you and, and the company and, and what you're doing? What, what, what is your big vision? I mean, what, is, what do you think's coming up that's going to be um, next in your agenda? Well, we're... We're really expanding in the television business, so we have a publicly traded company called Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, which is in TV, film, videos. I mean, we're, we're, on every, we're on every screen, your phone screen, your iPad screen, your computer screen, your TV screen, and 
you know, the screen at the cinema. So we have a lot going on in that business. And then in our book business, I just continue coming up with new topics. And I keep thinking I'm I'm not going to have any more new topics because we've, we've been doing this for 25 years now. And then new topics just keep occurring to me in um our next book coming out is going to be Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Yes, which is all about making a policy of saying yes to new things and how that dramatically improves your life and broadens your world. So there's always some great new topic that we can publish on and continue to inspire people in yet another way. Oh, awesome. That is that is a great idea. I love the idea of television. I'd love to see some of these women personally telling their stories. I just think it's just, you're doing a really great job. And I'm, I'm really thrilled again to have had you as our guest. Now, please remind everyone where they can follow you on Twitter or Facebook or, or sure, Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. It's Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, our Twitter handle is Chicken Soup Soul. My Twitter handle is Amy Newmark. I'm on Instagram as Amy Newmark. We're uh, the company's on Instagram as Chicken Soup Soul, and yeah, we've got over two million social media followers. So, uh, and a very engaged audience, by the way. Everybody's super engaged with us. You know, lots of reposting and liking and and all of that. So I think our social media is actually a lot of fun. You can also see our book trailers if you go to chickensoup.com. You click on the individual book titles, you will see some trailers where we bring some of the stories to life and we show you videos and photos um, that are relevant to the stories. So we're trying to make even our books into more of a multimedia experience. That's fun. That is so great. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for being our guest. We really appreciate it. And please, anything, anytime, reach out. We're here for you. And thank you for giving us some of your backstory. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. And thanks for all the great work that you do for women. I think it's wonderful, and I'm very impressed. Oh, thank you, Amy. Thanks so much. So we'll talk soon, right? And you'll be getting your One Tough Mother t-shirt, so make sure that Mary sends me your address. Oh, okay. I will do that. Take care. Have a lovely day. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we've got headlines and headaches. And Seth, there's a lot going on. A lot. There is a lot going on. Not just kids making my daughter wet at the pool. There's other, stu- there's other stuff <laughs> Don't happening. Don't get me wet at the pool. Um, yes. Thank God uh, these kids were saved. Uh, the 12, all the boys and their coach were rescued. Um, they were trapped in a cave for over two weeks in Thailand, as everyone knows the story. Um, and unfortunately, uh, a former Thai Navy diver uh, lost his life uh, last Friday trying to get them... Um, Supplies, I believe, and everything, which is just horrible. Um, the Wild Boar soccer team, they're aged between 11 and 16, and their 25-year-old coach, they're exploring a cave complex in the northern province of uh, Chiang Rai. I don't know how you say it, but we all know the story. And the uh, rainy season flooded the tunnels, and just really unfortunate, you know. It's um, amazing they got that, them out. But it's unfortunate they got stuck there for that long. I'm saying it's amazing that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate someone lo- did lose their life, but they were able to get all these kids out. No, I, I hate to say it, but. You know what they say? Um, they got four out, and then they got another four out, 
I think over a couple of days, right? So um, on Sunday, four boys were brought out, and then another four on Monday, and the last four in the, in the coach on Tuesday. How did they decide who to go first? I would think they would send the youngest, the youngest out first. Okay. Right. That would be my thought process. Uh, if I was one of those kids, I would have lied about my birthday. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I'm like, I'm nine. I'm eight. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. Right. I was just like, how long were they in there? Two weeks? Was over, that it? Over two weeks. Over two weeks. Yeah. Now, knowing that I'm claustrophobic, which you know, I would have been flipping out. You probably would have like sat, like tapped into some super strength and just started moving Earth. You're so right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have moved Earth to get out. I no, I would have been freaked out. I mean, I have gone like when we lived out. I lived out in Colorado, Arizona. I went under to the mines to look at the mines. The entire time I was under there, I was like trying to enjoy it but i am that claustrophobic that i'm looking for light the entire time i'm down there like i want to get out i want to get out i want to get out in all the wrong places yeah exactly no it's really uh another cool thing about this story is that it just shows how we're all connected as a planet because you know volunteers from australia and the united states went to help right. so it's, it's nice to see that you know everyone puts everything aside and says oh wait a minute there's boys trapped in a cave let's send some people there and help them out and you know our president tweeted out of course because he tweets everything um he congratulated the Thai Navy SEALs on the success of uh, uh, rescuing the boys and their coach. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a horrible story with a great ending. Yeah, you know? thank goodness so, it, it did end that way. Thank God for that. And let's get on to some uh, news, shall we? Please. Uh, and we're going to do the new news theme here. Okay, uh, U.S. commute time averages 26 minutes. I wish. I wish too. Who yeah. the hell, 26 minutes? I don't believe it. It's true. You know, if I worked at the Y, my commute time would be 35 seconds, but I don't. Um, since this data shows that people in New York, Maryland, and New Jersey take the longest to get to the office. Oh, that's our problem. We live in the wrong state. Yeah, exactly. No, I live in New Jersey. You I live in too. New Jersey. Yeah, it says New York, Maryland, and New oh, Jersey take okay. the longest to get the to the longest, office, according yeah. to money. In those states, people spend a little more than 30 minutes on average getting to work, not the ones that work in New York. Right. I'd spend an hour. On the you. other hand, people in North and South Dakota are working about 17 minutes. Six seventeen minutes just to get to their mailbox. In those states. <laughs> exactly. On average, Americans get to work in about twenty six minutes. Well, good for you and your twenty six minutes. I guess we're the ones who average it out. You yeah, know? I guess. Yeah. Because we're like the hour and a half. Okay. Stop apologizing for asking questions, Karen. Well, I never apologize. You shouldn't because then you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> um, it doesn't just make you look bad. It also discourages others from asking their own questions. Writes University of Texas psychology professor Art Markman. Prefacing questions with an apology promotes the misguided assumption that we understand what people are telling us, but we often need to engage with and respond to what we are hearing to fully understand. One, way, one great way to do that, asking questions. The pre-question apology sends a message to the group that uh, being confused is unacceptable. Right. I'm sorry I have to ask this. Right away you're thinking, oh, geez, uh, oh, he has to ask. Yes, it's my real hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what I've learned? In, you know, I'm still, I'm old, but I'm still learning. You got to believe in what you're doing and you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be somewhat aggressive, you know. So yes. if, you, if you need information, get your information. Don't apologize for getting it. Right. So be aggressive. Don't, not knowing is, ha I mean, it's a battle. So get in the know. Ask. So what if people think you're dumb? Who cares? Ask. They're dumb if they think that. Yeah, be selfish. Like, yeah. Get the information yeah. you need. Okay, let's move on. We, we fix that. Okay. Beware the friendship jealousy trap. Ooh, you have this. Yeah. Just kidding. We're more threatened when our friends uh, outdo us than when a stranger bests us in the same way, reports New York Times' Tim Herrera. That's because we are psychologically primed to compare ourselves most to the people closest to us, even to the point of subconsciously sabotaging our friends' efforts, like tripping them in a race. 
You can choose to be proud of your friends instead. Remember that you do not have the same exact goals as them and that their achievements do not take anything away from yours. I'm dealing with this with my kids right now. Like my five-year-old's going through a phase where when he loses, he just flips out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every kid does that. Every kid ex- has that. Yeah, yeah. I'm ex- I went through it with my older one too. I'm just trying to get through it. I'm right. Just, and I'm just like threatening him with no chocolate, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I said, you're going to act like a baby. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take you anywhere. Right. I'm a horrible parent. Okay. <laughs> Robots replacing more women's jobs, but this not the men. Me. Thank this God. This ticked me, yeah. okay? So yeah. you know. I'm all for this. Okay. Just kidding. I work on One Tough Mother Show. Yeah, exactly. So You're just, about to get yeah, punched. Yeah. About to be fired. Robots replacing more women's jobs. Automation is coming for our jobs. There's not much our government is doing about it, says author Alyssa Quart. Women are most at risk, with studies showing 57% of 1.4 million U.S. jobs that will be disrupted by robotization in 2026 are those held by women. Well, that's baloney. Meanwhile, workers in a wide range of once secure middle class industries, from advertising and law to admin and nursing, are also at risk of displacement. I don't want a robot nurse. Me either. That's oh, weird. Weird. So, what can we do about it? Court says we need to support unions in pushing back against automation, as well as take the time to recognize the real hurt being caused to families. I, I, I disagree with that. I have to say we have to just adjust because that's how it's always been like that with different um, ways of making a living that kind of go under. The industrial revolution. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I think you have to make adjustments and, and, and be ready to make a pivot in your career and, and do something else. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be... You're not going to stop automation and stop progress and stop companies from being profitable because that's all they want to do is be profitable. Bingo. And you know what? So work on robots. Yeah. There's a new job for you. Right, robotics. Like yeah, study get that. into robotics, right? So yeah, I, I'm a, Alyssa Court, I'm going to have to disagree with you. All right, well, we'll call her and tell her that you Stop don't. automation, right. Okay. Stop progress. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Oh, jeez. Let's get her on the show. All right, I will. Oh, study says coffee drinkers live longer. Oh, I knew I should have had one today. Oh. <laughs> you had one and you lost it? What? No, I was at Whole Foods the other morning and I didn't eat anything and I had my daughter with me and I decided they have these fancy coffees with grass-fed butter in it and all kinds of stuff in it. It's called Bulletproof Coffee. It's a thing. Of course. Yes. I was sick all day. Oh, God. All day. I tweeted and I wrote to Whole Foods and everything. All day I was sick. Ruined uh. my entire day. So that's why I'm like off coffee right now. At least a fancy BS coffee. Study says coffee drinkers live longer on the toilet. Okay. You can have that second <laughs> cappuccino because a new study shows that, cause see, cappuccino is not coffee. It's got milk and all kinds of stuff in it. Yeah. A new study shows that caffeine may help you live longer, according to CNBC. The report by researchers from the coffee company, oh, sorry, just kidding. Researchers from UK <laughs> Southampton University concluded that coffee drinkers significantly reduce their chances of early death. The study found that uh, after following adults over 10 years, those who drink coffee had less of a risk than those who didn't drink. Therefore, keep drinking those three or four cups of coffee a day. You know what? Maybe the people drinking the coffee are like up and rising and go-getters and working and the people weren't were just slacking off sitting on their couches at home. Dude, I, I 100% agree. Let me tell you right. something. I'm living forever. Just, hello, wait a minute. To my kids, so sad for you. I will be living forever. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I drink uh, four or five cups of black coffee a day. That's crazy. Well, you know, no I work nuts. I work until what? One o'clock in the morning uh, at my job at night. Five, so. Feeding the chickens. Yeah, feeding the chickens. So I, but I'm a coffee fanatic. I love coffee. I like my coffee just black and hot and I can drink it right down. So yeah, I can see. I'm going to live forever, dude. Have you ever gone through caffeine withdrawals? I have not. Have you ever tried? No. Yeah. 
You would. I would. We should do that. We should do it live. What, me do it caffeine withdrawal? Yeah. Why? You are such a sadistic <laughs> person. <laughs> How parental leave stalls careers. Uh, okay. Two-thirds of women who take a career break end up in entering lower-skilled roles when they return to work. That's weird. I know. According to research from PwC. Women's uh, returners and the 30% club. As a result, these women, most of whom take a break to raise their children, often have to stomach a pay cut between 12 and 32% on their return. Julian Miles, co-founder and director of Women's Returners, said employers often assume a lack of recent experience equates to a loss of the ability to operate at a senior level. What's your take? Did you ever take a break and find yourself returning at a lower rung on the career ladder? Should those who've had a break be able to return at a level which they left? In my experience, the people all came back to their jobs. Yeah, yeah. My experience too. Yeah, I didn't. So. I didn't catch on to this one really, but whatever. All right. So I don't know. You this tell one, us. This next one is, of course, to me. Amazon. Of course, of course, Amazon. Snapchat is reportedly teaming up with Amazon on a visual, visual, a visual product search feature codenamed Eagle, according to TechCrunch. The Eagle has landed. Okay. Uh, the feature, which was discovered by researcher Ishan. Agarwal, buried in the company's Android app, can identify products from the camera using barcodes and then send users to Amazon listings for purchase. I already do this with Amazon uh, app. I scan stuff all the time. Uh, The potential future update could be a new revenue stream for the firm, says Business Insider. It's not the social media company's first foray into partnering with other tech firms. In 2016, it teamed up with Shazam! Shazam! To help users identify songs through its microphone. Oh, boy. I'm going to file this under who cares. Yeah, exactly, please. All right. Snapchat, please. I love the next one. This is a great idea. I wish I'd have thought it up. This is a good idea, just from the title alone. Game show to help pay off student loans. Forget wanting to be a millionaire. A new game show aims to help recent college graduates break even by paying off some or all of the winner's student loan debt. The Washington Post reports that TV tr- True TV's payoff, paid off, looks like a traditional game show, but all contestants have outstanding student loans. The network will pay up to 100% of the winner's student loan debt depending on how he or she performs during a speed round. The outstanding balances of student loans in the U.S. rose to more than 60% over the last decade. Rose more than 60%, excuse me, according to the Post. The average student has $37,000 of student loan debt. $37,000. County College is looking real good right about now. No doubt, because Mm. my first home in Colorado was a beautiful three-bedroom ranch house at the foot of Pikes Peak, basically, with a beautiful, beautiful property. And I paid $30,000 for it. How old are you? <laughs> you're a jerk. <laughs> oh, my God. What you're a year jerk. was that? <laughs> 1912. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. You are going to live forever. I am going to live right. forever. So in place of our... Uh, cyborg. Yeah, cyborg. That You know, people... I, I'm the Benjamin Button of women. Anyway. Awesome. You do look younger today from since last time I saw you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anyway, um, in, in honor of the fact that Dr. T is doing her segment today, we won't be doing emails, but we say continue to write us. And Dr. T is going to be coming on any second with her. Dr. T's Tough Mother Medical Moments. We're super excited that once a month, the third show of every month, we have Dr. Tanya Elliott, which is Dr. T's Tough Mother Medical Moments. And she tells us all about interesting and unusual and even fascinating ways that we can hack health. So, Dr. T, how are you this morning? I am doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited that you're going to be a regular part of our show. So, you've been traveling a lot. Give us some hacks. 
Okay, yes, I've been traveling a lot like crazy. So we're going to start with some jet lag hacks because I've been doing a lot of cross-country stuff and then been going to Europe. So here's the deal on jet lag hacks and how you can combat jet lag. The first thing is you want to try to get on the new time zone a few days before you actually travel. So if you're going east, particularly in the summertime, wake up with a bird at like 5 a.m. and go to bed a little bit earlier. Vice versa for west, um, if you're traveling west. Um, and then if you need help with sleeping, this is a great one. I actually like banana tea. Have you ever had banana tea? Oh my gosh, it sounds delicious and no. Okay, so you wanna steep the banana with the peel in hot water for eight minutes. And it's a great source of magnesium, which helps to relax your muscles and promote sleep. So start doing that a couple of times, particularly a couple of times before you um, get on that airplane, particularly if you're traveling somewhere and you are going east and want to get to sleep earlier. So that's number one, right? Before you travel, you want to do a little prep. The second thing, while you're flying, stay hydrated. I cannot stress this enough. So bring at least a liter of water with you on your flight. And if you have a small bladder like me, you want to make sure you pick an aisle seat. Uh, but lack of hydration is one of the key reasons you feel crummy when you get off an airplane. You have headaches, you feel lackluster, devoid of energy. So you want to make sure that you stay hydrated and then also avoid caffeine as well as alcohol, which can disrupt, disrupt your sleep and dehydrate you even further. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you. And wait, let's go back to banana tea because I always, I have very bad problems sleeping and it sounds like it's great for sleep and for when you're working out and your muscles are sore. So you just take a whole banana and steep it? Take the banana, yep, with the peel and then just steep it in hot water. You want to do it for eight minutes and it's going to have a delicious taste as well as make the water be chock full of magnesium. And another thing I like to do, you can sprinkle a little cinnamon on top as well. Oh, sounds incredible. Well, thank you, Dr. T. That's amazing hacks for the summer travel or travel at any time. We will be talking to you next month, and your hacks will be helping us all. Have a great day. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.